we're going to continue through uh, the book of 1 Corinthians, and we're in chapter 2, and we're going to uh, carry on in the, uh, the next uh, section. And two weeks ago, uh, I think it was, we looked at uh, verses 6 to 9, and all about the greatest plan of all. So we looked about the plan that God had from eternity, and how... Um, the world can't understand that plan, but people who are filled with the Spirit can, because it's a, it's a mystery. And uh, we had a look at all of that. And Paul is writing the book of Corinthians for two reasons. Firstly, he's addressing some problems that he's heard in the church. And uh, the second reason is that he's answering some questions that they've written to him about. So sometimes you'll see that he's actually... Um, He's giving an answer to a question that they've written, and other times he's dealing with a problem that's arisen in the church. And so chapters 1 to 4 uh, of 1 Corinthians, he's dealing with a major problem in the church, which is factionalism or divisions in the church. There's fighting going on, there's arguing going on, and uh, the believers in Corinth are incredibly divided. And so he devotes the first four chapters uh, of this letter to dealing with this issue of division. And um, some of the people are saying in the church that they follow Peter. Some are saying they follow Paul. Some are saying they follow Apollos. And the really spiritual ones are saying they follow Christ. And uh, the sad truth that's revealed in this letter is that the church simply haven't matured. They're acting like kids. They are infants in the Lord. Paul, Paul has spent one and a half years at least in the church, uh, laying foundations and that type of thing. And he's left, he's gone to Ephesus, but the church haven't grown. And so what's happened is, is that they've basically been stunted in their growth with the Lord, and now they're fighting. And uh, they've remained babies in Christ. And in fact, Paul calls them worldly. Can you believe that? In 1 Corinthians in chapter 3, the very next chapter, the first four, four verses read like this. Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And still you aren't ready. This is years later. For you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove you are controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? When one of you says, I'm a follower of Paul, and another said, I follow Apollos, aren't you acting just like people of the world? This is, this is the reason Paul is writing. Because this church simply aren't growing. They aren't moving with the Lord. They're stagnant. They're staying babies in Christ. And the culture of the day has actually seeped into the church culture. What happened back in, uh, back in that time in Corinth was that they'd have teachers called sophists and, uh, or sophists. And what would happen is that the elite of society would spend an absolute fortune sending their kids to one of these sophists. And they would teach them on a one-on-one -on -one basis. There were no schools. There was no like collective group like this where a teacher would teach 100 people at a time. It would be one-on-one. -on -one. 
And so the students would follow the, follow the teachers around, and the students would be their disciples. So discipling is actually not a Christian term. It's not invented by the church or by Jesus. It was already a common term in the day. And uh, it was where a teacher would teach a student. And the student would follow them around. They'd teach them things like philosophy. They'd teach them Roman law. They'd teach them Roman values. They'd teach them how to speak with eloquence, how to look good when they speak, because looking the part was as important as the words you used. And this was one of the problems with Paul, is they said, your words are pretty good, but when we look at you, you're unimpressive. You're not like the Greek teachers that we had who look awesome. They're muscular, they, you know, they've been working out, their skin is glowing, they use all these beauty products and cut their hair fancy, because public speaking was you had to look the part as well as say the part. And there was Paul, he was unimpressive, <laughs> but his words were powerful and he ministered with the Spirit's power. And so these teachers would go around and they made a lot of money. So what they'd do is they'd bag each other out. They would, because they have competition, they would think nothing of just criticizing another teacher and rubbishing the guy and saying, you know, I'm a way better teacher than this person because I'm going to get more business. So the more business, I, obviously there's a lot of money in this thing. But then what started happening is the students started doing the same thing to the other students. And so you had these little schools fighting each other. And in actual fact, in one case, some of the students beat one of the other teachers to death on the street. Uh, they beat the guy up so badly he died. And so this is the culture of the day. I follow Socrates. I follow Aristotle. I'm with this guy. I'm with that guy. And guess what? It's in the church now. And Paul is saying, you guys are worldly. You're carrying on just like the culture around you. You're not maturing in Christ. This is not how spiritual people behave. And so... We're going to have a look now at, or let's have a read of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and from verse 10 to verse 16. Paul's just reminded them of this masterpiece of God's plan. And, but he says, people can't understand it. And then in verse 10, because he says, in, uh, sorry, in verse 9, he says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has even conceived of the incredible things that God has planned. He's basically saying, no one on earth has ever thought up something so wonderful as this. Verse 10, but, there's a but there, but there are some who do see, there are some who do hear, and there are some who do understand this amazing plan of God. So he says, let's have a read, uh, 1 Corinthians in chapter 2, verse 10 to 16. But it was to us that God revealed these things by His Spirit. For His Spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. And no one can know the thoughts of God except God's own spirit. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so that we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. When we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom, like the speakers of the day. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. But people who aren't spiritual 
can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. They actually can't. An unspiritual person cannot understand what God is getting at in the Bible. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. Those who are spiritual can evaluate all things because they can evaluate what's going on in the world and they can evaluate what's going on in the kingdom. They can evaluate all things. But they themselves cannot be evaluated by others. The world can't evaluate the church because the world cannot understand spiritual things. They can only understand unspiritual things. But we can un- we can evaluate everything. Okay, that's what he's saying. Who knows, for who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach him? But we understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. And that is the title of the message. If you can just put up that little picture. It's coming. It'll come. There we go. Having the mind of Christ. That's the title of this message. Paul says, we have the mind of Christ. Maybe turn to the person next to you and say, you have the mind of Christ. (laughs) Ah, It's an easy enough statement to say, but it's not that easy to believe, is it? (laughs) I mean, when you look at yourself in the mirror in the morning, do you see a person who has the mind of Christ? Hmm? (laughs) Well, whether you believe it or not, Scripture says you and I have it. It's something we already possess, not something we will have in the future. Paul says you have it, but they're not living like they have it, are they? They're living like the world. So even though they have the mind of Christ, something is clearly wrong with these believers. And so I want to ask three questions. First of all, what exactly is the mind of Christ? Because we can say things. We have the mind of Christ and have absolutely no idea what it actually is or what it means. Second thing, how did we get it? Because you weren't born with it. Neither was I. And the third thing is, why did we get it? What's the purpose of having the mind of Christ? And as I was preparing this message, uh, it got longer and longer and longer. So I thought, oh, here we go again. I'm going to have to break this up into multiple parts. So this is having the mind of Christ part one. And then not next week because Dave Hagar will be here, but the following week we'll do part two and probably we'll end up doing a part three. So we're only going to look at what the mind of Christ is today. That's all we're going to look at. So let's just pray before we get into uh, the rest of this. Lord Jesus, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that uh, we have the mind of Christ. And this morning, we're wanting to understand what exactly that is. What does it mean for us? And Lord, we pray for revelation. As we look at your word, we ask that you would help us to understand because our natural minds cannot understand uh, what's going on in, in, in your word. But it's as we receive revelation from your spirit that we can truly grasp uh, what you're trying to teach us. So we welcome you, Holy Spirit. Come and move amongst us. 
Come and, and change our mindsets. Give us revelation. Let us hear from you, the living God, this morning. We ask these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. So what is the mind of Christ? Well, to have the mind of someone is to see things from their perspective. It's to understand their values. And it's to understand what their will is and what their thinking is, how they think. That's to have the mind of someone. If I have Joel's mind, I understand his values. I understand why he supports the cats. Very easy to understand that. It is. We'll pray for those who need the mind of Joel afterwards. <laughs> In any relationship, communication is vitally important. And there's a joke about a husband and wife at a marriage seminar. And the speaker says they've done a study and they found out that, that women on average speak 30,000 words a day and men only speak 15,000 words a day. And the guy's wife leans over to him and says, that's because women have to repeat everything they say to men. <laughs> and the man said, what's that, honey? <laughs> you see, it takes time for people in a relationship, any relationship, not just marriage, but even friends. It takes time for you to really get to know another person. It doesn't just happen uh, instantly and overnight. And to really understand each, each other's values, to understand future plans, things like that, it takes time. It takes walking a journey together. And uh, when, when you're with a friend that you've known for a long time and you see some, some incident happening in front of you, sometimes you don't even have to talk because you know what the other person's thinking already. And you can both like smile about it or whatever without even saying a word that's having someone else's mind. That's, that's understanding values, understanding will, understanding thought processes, seeing things from their perspective. That's having somebody else's mind. But we're talking about having the mind of Christ. So the first point is having the mind of Christ means that we see things from God's perspective. That's why I've put this beautiful picture. That's actually the Himalayan mountains. Now, Joe and I, we've recently been to Nepal. And when you walk around Kathmandu, it's just dusty. And it's so dusty, you can't see these mountains. You can't see the edge of the city. You can't see trees. You can't see hills. You can't see the beautiful mountains. All you see is haze okay, on the edge of the city. And so if I had to live in Kathmandu all my life, someone comes up to me and says, what do you think of the beautiful mountains? I'd say, what mountains? You can't see anything. All I see is dust. <laughs> in fact, uh, Frank said to me, the other name for Kathmandu is Dustmandu. <laughs> and literally it is. That's because the air is so thick with dust, you can't see beyond the city borders. But... We had to fly somewhere to another city. When you get into an airplane and you fly up above the dust, then you can see the mountains. Then you see that because you're above the haze and the dust. You see things from a different perspective. And when you have the mind of Christ, you see things from God's perspective. You get raised up above the dust of the earth 
and you can see things for as they really are. That's to have the mind of Christ. God sees the world from a totally different perspective. And the unspiritual person cannot see the world from that angle. They just can't. All they see is dust. They cannot see that view there because only spiritual people can see that view. Only people that have the mind of Christ. And you see, these teachers in Corinth, these sophists, they were, they were held in high regard. They were, they were people that people aspired to be like them because these guys were like the geniuses, the clever clogs, the, uh, the guys that were, had it all together. They knew what was going on. But even with all their intelligence and all their fancy words, they couldn't see the world from God's perspective. They couldn't see anything beyond the dust that surrounded them. And all they saw was the dusty world of sin and corruption. And they knew nothing else. And Paul is saying, hey, don't get impressed by people's wisdom, by following after a certain person, following after someone else. Get impressed with Jesus. He's the one that sees things from a perspective that, that the world can't. They can't see the love of God pouring down from the heavens. They can't see the blue sky of God's faithfulness stretching from the east to the west. They can't see the mighty mountains of the righteousness of God because their perspective prevents them from seeing it. And it's the same with the world around us today. You speak to people and they'll tell you the problems in the world are the government. The government's the problem. Or that person's just unlucky. Whenever someone says, hey, that guy's unlucky or that guy is lucky, I always say, I don't believe in luck. I believe in God. I do. I don't believe in luck. I believe in God. I don't believe in fortune, good fortune, or fortune telling. I believe in God. I believe in being blessed by God. Not good luck. No lucky number eight, none of this stuff. No lucky horseshoe, lucky four-leaf clover, all that stuff. It's nonsense. I believe in God. And I believe in His blessing on my life. But the world can't see it that way. They believe the problems lie in all these other areas. It's because of what the government is doing or it's because of what the government isn't doing. That's why we've got all these problems around us. You see, the world can't see the real problem in the world is sin. That's where the problem really lies. But when you look at things from God's perspective, you see it. Because it's right in the beginning of the Bible. It tells you how sin got into the human race. We have the mind of Christ. We see the world from a different perspective. We see the world from a heavenly perspective. The second thing is that having the mind of Christ means to understand the values of God. So not just to understand, uh, to see things from God's perspective. It's to understand what God values. Because the values of God are very different to the values of the world. For instance... God sees all people as priceless treasures. There's no room for racism 
in the kingdom of God. None. There is absolutely not a bone, a racist bone in God. He values every person, rich or poor, big or small, high or low. doesn't matter where they're from. They are priceless treasures to God. Jesus revealed this in a parable that contained only two sentences, probably one of the shortest parables in the Bible. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 44. It's one verse, two sentences. Matthew 13 verse 44. Jesus said this, he said, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again, and he sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Now, most Christians think the man in this parable is you and I, and the treasure is salvation. Wrong. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Did you find Jesus, or did Jesus find you? Because the man found the treasure. Did you find Jesus? No, you didn't. Jesus found you. Did any of you buy your salvation with money? Because this man bought that treasure. He sold everything he had and bought it. Anyone here bought their salvation? No. Did any of you, once you heard the gospel, hid it so no one else can hear it, so that you can get saved and no one else? Well, this man, when he found the treasure in the field, he hid it so that he could go and sell everything, come back and buy it. Any of you did that with your salvation? Clearly, the man is not you and I. The man is Jesus. He's the one. He's the man. The field is the world. The treasure is you and I. Jesus came into this field. He saw treasure and he gave everything up for you. That's, the, that's what this parable is telling us. It's saying you are a priceless treasure to God. You are a treasure so valuable, God gave up everything he had for you. That's the value he puts on every single person. The people sitting around you are the most valuable treasure the earth contains. Not the whales. Okay? Amen? Not the ozone layer. Not all the gold and silver in the earth. People are the most valuable treasure this earth contains. Jesus didn't die to save any animal species. He died for the human race. He didn't die to fix the problem of climate change. He didn't. He didn't die to fix any economy, to provide jobs for people. He died for people the most valuable treasure the earth contains. And that is the value of God, and it's not the value of the world. It's totally not the value of the world. People just get mown over. I mean, at the moment, there's something like 60 wars happening right now across the planet. Thousands and thousands, even millions of people are dying all over the world. Some of these wars have been going on for 40 years plus. Why? Because people don't value people. The world doesn't value people. God does. When you have the mind of Christ, 
You start seeing things in a different way. You see people in a different way. And there's no room for racism. The world values what they eat and what they drink and what they wear. God values honesty, family, covenant, loyalty, integrity, love, humility, servanthood. None of these values are in the world. They're not. The world values pride, ambition, pleasure, knowledge, wealth. There's, a, there's another joke. Uh, an angel came to a man who was dying. He said, you're going to, very wealthy man, you're going to be dead in, uh, in a day. And the guy said, oh, please, you know, can I take something with me into the next life? So the angel said, no problem. So this guy went and sold everything he had, turned it into uh, bars of gold, and he got his bag of gold, and he went to the angel and said, right, I'm ready to go. So he got up to heaven. He's walking around heaven with this big bag full of gold bars. And someone comes up to him, says, what you got in the bag? So he opens it and shows him. The guy said, oh, you got paving stones. <laughs> Streets are made of gold in heaven. <laughs> But the reality is, is that's not how it works. It doesn't matter what you own on earth. It doesn't matter how much wealth you amass on earth. When you die, God's going to say, take all of it, put it on one side, take your clothes off, put it on one side, your watch, your shoes, everything. Now come. You came with nothing, you leave with nothing. <laughs> doesn't matter how much stuff you pile up. It's all going to be put on one side. And left behind when you die. That's why God doesn't value wealth. He doesn't. The world does. The world runs after it. Pride, ambition, pleasure. You only need to read the paper for one day and see that these are the values the world has and the values that God has aren't in the paper. <laughs> Colossians 3, verse 1 and 2. Colossians 3, verse 1 and 2. Those who have the mind of Christ have set their minds on things above. It says, since you have been raised to a new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Not the, not the hope of heaven, the realities. This is not reality. Heaven is reality. This thing here will not be around in a million years' time. All these atoms are going to disintegrate and gone. This building won't be around. Heaven will be. That's reality. This here is not reality. This is temporary. That's why Jesus said, don't, don't settle. Don't, don't live in a house. Live in a tent. <laughs> Keep your houses. Live in a tent in your heart. Okay? Be a pilgrim in this life. Don't go. This is what it's all about. Because guess what? It's all going to go one day. The reality is heaven. Keep camping until you get there. Okay? So it says here, set your sights on the realities of heaven. In other, in other versions, it says, set your minds on things above. That's having the mind of Christ. 
where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not of earth. And here is the Corinthian church thinking about everything on earth. Oh, I follow this guy. I follow that guy. Paul's like, stop arguing. Grow up in Christ. Set your mind on things above because you actually have the mind of Christ. Use it. (laughs) Then the third point is not only do we see things from God's perspective, having the mind of Christ is also to understand God's values, but thirdly, it's to understand God's thoughts and His will. When you have the mind of Christ, you know what God actually wants. He's not just sitting there, well, let's just see what happens on earth. We just give it like 6,000 years and then I'll have another look, see what happens. God's got a will. There's things that He wants to see happen. But only those with the mind of Christ will know what that will is. The mind of Christ understands the thinking of God. It understands the true reason behind the problems in the world. God understands why there's a lack of peace in the world today. He knows why. He understands why the economies are so unstable and why they're getting more and more unstable. You notice that? People are becoming millionaires overnight, but people are losing everything overnight just as quickly. Whereas in the past, it took ages. The economies were a lot more stable. Now they jump up and down like a yo-yo. God understands why. He understands the breakdown in family life. And believers do too because we have the mind of Christ. When you have the mind of Christ, you see things in the context of eternity. You make decisions in the context of eternity. The world thinks 100 years. That's my life. So should I buy a house? Shouldn't I? Should I get this job or shouldn't I? Well, it's going to benefit me. I'm going to do well for a few years. So yes, I will do it. But the believer goes, what about eternity? Should I take this job or shouldn't I based on eternity? Not based on the next 30 years of my life. Every decision God made was framed in the context of eternity. When Jesus came to earth and offered his body as a sacrifice, it was so that his people could live with him for eternity. He didn't just come to to forgive people of their sins so that we can all die with a good conscience. He's thinking about eternity. Forever and ever and ever, people are going to live with God. Every decision God made was framed with eternity in mind. That's how God thinks. He doesn't think finite. He doesn't think in terms of time. He thinks eternal thoughts. (laughs) It's hard for us to get our minds around this. The plan of God is for us to live with God forever. That's the plan of God. In fact, recently Billy Graham died. And I read a thing that he put up uh, maybe a year before his death. He said this. He said, one day you're going to read in the newspapers that Billy Graham has died. Don't believe it. Because at that time, I will be more alive than I've ever been. That's the mind of Christ. 
That's understanding eternity. For me to live as Christ and to die is gain. That's the mind of Christ. The world thinks death is loss. But Christians think death is gain. That's how someone with the mind of Christ thinks. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2. Just another verse showing how the decisions of God are made in the context of eternity. Hebrews 12 verse 2. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author or the source and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross. What? That's thinking with eternity in mind. For the joy that lay before him, that's you and I being saved, coming into relationship with God. That's why Jesus endured the cross. Not because it was a fun thing to do. Let me go and hang on the cross. Let me let them nail me to the cross, put a crown of thorns. For the joy that set before him, it wasn't that. It was you and I, for all eternity, in relationship, the people with God. That's how God thinks. This is the mind of Christ. And the scriptures say, we already have it as believers. We have the mind of Christ. I think I'm going to wrap it up there. Next time, we're going to look at how did we get the mind of Christ? Because clearly, we weren't born with this mind of Christ. No one here was born a Christian, unless I'm wrong. All of us came to Jesus at one point and were saved. And when we're saved, we get the mind of Christ. How did we receive it? And then the, the week after that, we're going to look at... Um, why do we need the mind of Christ why do we need it and it's then that we're going to see that the mind of Christ is not the only mind that a believer has because these Corinthians had another mindset okay and we have two minds there's a reason God has given us the mind of Christ, and we'll look at that in, in uh, three weeks' time, probably. So come along and find out. <laughs> read, read 1 Corinthians. Read it over. Ask God to show you. Ask God to give you His perspective on how things are happening. His perspective on your family. His perspective on your work. His perspective on why am I here in Melbourne. Have you ever thought of that? You think it's just random chance? I don't believe in chance. I don't believe in luck. I don't believe in fortune. You are here because God put you here. And He's got a reason why you're here. But you need the mind of Christ to understand why. Amen. Because the Bible says God determines the times and places in which we should live. It's either right or wrong. <laughs> you're here because God wants you here. And he has a reason for you to be here. Ask him these things as you pray in your, in your times with God. Ask God, help me to see things. Help me to see this relationship. Help me to see my friends, my family or whatever through your eyes. Give me your values, your perspective on things. 
And I'm telling you, it'll change the way that we live. It'll change us when we start living for eternity and not just for the here and now. You start, you start sowing a lot more seed when you're living for the long term and eating a lot less bread. <laughs> you do. But when you think, oh, I've only got 20 years, let me just stuff myself. But when you're thinking eternity, man, I'm going to have to sow a lot. I need a crop that's going to last. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, not here on earth. Let's just bow our heads in prayer. Awesome. So we're having a look at the book of 1 Corinthians this morning. So let's just turn to 1 Corinthians and chapter 2. We, we are going to continue this morning uh, about the mind of Christ. And uh, two weeks ago, uh, we talked about having the mind of Christ and what does that actually mean. So we're asking three questions. What is the mind of Christ? Today we're going to look at how do we get the mind of Christ? And next week we're going to look at why do we need the mind of Christ? So this, last time we had a look at what exactly is the mind of Christ. And it's an understanding of God's will and a seeing of, uh, through the Lord's eyes, seeing the world through his perspective, seeing life through the perspective of God. That's what the mind of Christ is. It's uh, understanding the thoughts of God. And so today we're going to have a look at how do we get the mind of Christ? Because you might say, well, why ask that if we've got it? Well, I like to know why <laughs> and how. And I think it's a logical question to ask because if we had an earthly mind, then how did we get the mind of Christ? How are, how are we who are finite able to understand God who is infinite? How are we who are weak and powerless able to understand a God who is all-powerful? Not just powerful, all-powerful. How is it possible for someone who's finite for, to understand an infinite God? How is it possible for flesh and blood to understand the spiritual realm? The infinite God, this God who forgives wrongdoing. How is it possible? Well, the reality is, it is impossible. And Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14. But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. They can't. It all sounds foolish to them. And they can't understand it. And Paul is saying, you Corinthians are some of the greatest thinkers in the world at that time. The greatest teachers, the greatest philosophers, they're teachers called sophists. They sound amazing. They present well. They're skilled in debate and skilled with their use of language. They hold crowds captive with their lofty thoughts and clever words, but even they cannot understand the mind of Christ. No matter how great their minds are, they simply can't understand the thinking of God. This is what Paul is saying. They have no idea what God's will is. They have no idea what his plan is. See, the unbelieving world with all its educational training cannot understand the mind of Christ. They cannot understand the values God has. 
nor can they see the world through God's eyes. And the reason is, is because they don't have the Holy Spirit. They cannot see these things because they don't have the Holy Spirit. So the thing, the thing to ask ourselves is, well, if these Corinthian believers had the mind of Christ, how did they get it? Because they didn't start with the mind of Christ, and neither did we. And not only that, but they're not the most perfect church out there, are they? They've got huge problems in this church. They're not the model church. They're not the, the model example of Christianity. Like, okay, these guys... They've got it all together. No wonder they've got the mind of Christ. No, they're in the exact opposite camp. They've got so many problems, Paul has to write 16 chapters to them to sort it all out. But he says they've somehow got the mind of Christ. So how did they get it? Three things. First of all, having the mind of Christ has nothing to do with what you know. Paul says in the previous chapter to these Corinthians... He says in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 26, he says, Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes, or powerful or wealthy. You haven't got wisdom, you haven't got wealth, but you've got the mind of Christ somehow. And then verse 29, as a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. So here's the thing. You cannot study to get the mind of Christ. The size of your library won't help you in the least. Amen. <laughs> I, I have a couple of hundred books or whatever in my library. They don't help me in getting the mind of Christ. You can read all the commentaries in the world and not be any closer to having the mind of Christ. Neither do some people have a natural ability to understand the mind of Christ, and some don't. Well, he's got a high IQ. No wonder he understands the mind of Christ. And I've got a low IQ. I've got no chance. That's rubbish. It's got nothing to do with it. Having a photographic memory won't help you either. Your job or your calling doesn't help you. Well, he's a pastor. He'll have the mind of Christ. Rubbish. It, I don't have some kind of hotline to heaven because I'm a pastor. And, oh, he's a car mechanic. There's no way he'll ever get the mind of Christ. All he deals with is grease and dirt. He'll never understand Jesus. But maybe a carpenter, any carpenters there this morning, maybe they will understand the mind of Christ because they can relate to Jesus on that carpentry level. <laughs> or... Or how about this? Maybe you work with children. Oh, Jesus says, unless you become like a little child, you'll not enter the kingdom of heaven. Maybe those who work with children, they can really understand something more than those who don't. And I'm telling you, we think like this. We think, oh, because I work with children, I actually know something about Jesus that you don't know. Maybe they can better grasp the mind of Christ. Maybe a fisherman can understand the mind of Christ better than a non-fisherman. Someone on the same wavelength as God, eh? The truth is, having the mind of Christ has nothing to do with what we know 
or what we have or what we don't have. Maybe you're poor. And Jesus said, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So in order to understand the mind of Christ, I've got to be poor. And there are millions of Christians who think like this. They think if you've got a lot of money and a lot of stuff, you'll never understand the mind of Christ. It's a load of rubbish. But there's Christians around the world purposefully living in poverty because they want to get closer to God. Oh, I'm going to leave society. I'm going to go and live in the woods, in the mountains. And I'm going to go and I'm going to eat herbs and eat, you know, berries and roots and things like that. If you want to go and eat herbs, just go down to KFC. Have your 11 herbs and spices. You still have no chance of understanding the mind of Christ. It's not what we have. Or what we don't have. It's not what we know. It's who we know. And who we have. That's what makes the difference. It's total foolishness to think something we have can help us to understand the mind of Christ. That's like saying, well, our minds are like a cup. Some of us have a big cup. Some of us have a small cup. Some of us have cups with holes in them. Okay? And it's like going to the ocean and trying to fit the whole ocean into your cup. It doesn't matter how big your cup is, you will never ever get the ocean into your cup. Ever. That's what it's like trying to understand the mind of Christ. God is infinite. How can we ever think that something about us will be able to contain the infinite? How can we ever think something we have will be able to contain the mind of Christ? It's not. It's who we have that enables us to understand the mind of Christ. And God has done this for a reason. We read it earlier. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 29. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. God has done it like this to protect us from pride. Otherwise, we'd be like, ooh, have you seen my library? Have you seen how big it is? You know, that library is the reason I understand God more than you do. How many books have you got? Three. (laughs) Come and look at my rose. Or look how poor I am. Look how I've humbled myself. Look how much I've sacrificed for God. Look how close I am to God. Your problem is you don't sacrifice enough. You don't give up enough. You're so distracted by everything else. That's why I'm closer to God than you. And it might look like humility, but it's actually pride at the end of the day. And God has done it like this to protect us from pride. Otherwise, we'd be going around, oh, I've got the mind of Christ more than you because of me, because of what I have, because of what I've done. Because of my great intellect, who gave you your IQ? Let me just ask that. God. (laughs) He determined the color of your eyes, the shape of your nose, the size of your brain. He determined it. (laughs) Anyway, let's move on. Praise the Lord. He's protected us from all of that. eh? And... 
it means there's hope for all of us. Any one of us in this room can have the mind of Christ. You can understand the thinking of God. That's good news. And it's even better news when we look at the Corinthians and look at how messed up they were. And Paul says, but you have the mind of Christ. Not you had, not you should have. You have it with all your problems and all your messes going on. You've got the mind of Christ. That's the first point. It's not what we know or what we have. It's who we know and who we have. Second point, the mind of Christ comes from the Holy Spirit. That's it. Nothing else. Let's have a read. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 from verse 10 to 16. It says, But it was to us that God revealed these things by His Spirit. For His Spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. You might have been asked the question, does the devil know my thoughts? There's your answer. No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. It's pretty clear. No one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so that we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. When we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. Those who are spiritual can evaluate all things, but they themselves cannot be evaluated by others. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach Him? But we understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. And that's what we're looking at today. We, we have the mind of Christ. But that first verse there in verse 10 God has revealed these things by His Spirit. The reason unbelievers cannot understand these things is because they don't have the Holy Spirit. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you can never fill the cup of your mind with the ocean. Let me, let me go back to an example that I gave two weeks ago about walking in the streets of dusty Kathmandu. The only way you can see the mountains is to get into a plane and get up above the dust and the smog. And that plane is like the Holy Spirit. The only way that we will ever understand the things from God's perspective is for the Holy Spirit to take us there, for the Holy Spirit to reveal these things to us. It's the only way. Without the Holy Spirit, mankind cannot understand the mind of God. It's simply too vast, too infinite, too powerful, too terrifying, let me add, for a finite mind to grab a hold of. 
But because we've been filled with the Holy Spirit, we can understand the mind of Christ. We're able to fly up high and see the mountains from God's perspective. Believers are lifted out of their earthly way of thinking by the Holy Spirit, not by our own clever intellect, so that none of us can boast. Romans 8 verse 9. Just write it down. I'll read it to you. Romans 8 and verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God lives in you. That's how we have the mind of Christ. The Holy Spirit actually lives in us. Did you realize that? But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. And this is what Paul is explaining to these Corinthian believers. In verse 10 it says, For his Spirit searches out everything, even the deep things of God's, even God's deep secrets. No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit, and no one can know the thoughts of God except God's own spirit. And so it's the Holy Spirit revealing to us the very deep thoughts of God. He's like a, if, if you take the um, illustration of the sea, trying to get the sea into a cup, it's like the Holy Spirit is a submarine going down into the very deepest parts of the ocean and coming back with a cup of seawater. And we go, wow, that's amazing. And then goes again and brings back another part of the ocean. And so the Holy Spirit is the one who's revealing this vastness of the ocean of God's mind to us. It's not like tomorrow we're going to understand everything that God understands. But when we're in a situation and we go, God, what is your will? What are you wanting to do here? The Holy Spirit then brings the mind of Christ to us and shows us what the will of God is and shows us the thinking of God. That's how it works. <laughs> He's the one that reveals God's deep secrets. And then we go, ah, oh, now I see what God is trying to tell me. Now I see things. Now I know why things are going on in the world as they're going on at the moment. Now I know why economies are so unstable today. Now I know why people are so stressed out. Now I know why people struggle with a lack of peace. Can't sleep at night. Because I see things from God's perspective. I'm, I'm always encouraging people that whenever believers get together, no matter how small the gathering, it's a significant meeting. You see, when you don't have the mind of Christ, the world looks at this and thinks this is insignificant. Or it looks at a home group and thinks totally insignificant. Five people meeting in a home, that's nothing. In the physical realm, but in the spiritual realm, it's significant. Because light shines in darkness. And five believers or even two believers meeting together, there's light there. There's angels ascending and descending. And all around for tens, maybe a maybe hundred Ks in the spiritual realm, the forces of darkness are aware that God's presence is there, that there's light there, that there's the kingdom of God meeting there. And so, but the world cannot understand this. It's only those with the mind of Christ that can see things from God's perspective. 
And so no meeting is irrelevant. Ever. Amen. <laughs> Amen, Lynette. <laughs> you go for it. <laughs> the Holy Spirit, point number three, is given by Jesus as a gift. It's a gift. The fact that we have the mind of Christ is a gift from God. Do we see it like that? Or do we see it, ah, well, don't really want the mind of Christ. What am I going to do with the mind of Christ? I'm happy with what I know. It's a gift. It's a gift from God. And that means it's not earned. When you look at the behavior of these Corinthian Christians, it's very clear to see it's not earned. <laughs> they didn't earn the mind of Christ through good behavior. Let's have a look at, uh, if you've got your Bibles, just John chapter 16. We're going to, sorry, John chapter 14. We're going to look at a few verses uh, from that chapter and then also a couple from John 16. John 14 and verse 15 to 17. This is Jesus promising the Holy Spirit. He says, if you love me, obey my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate or a helper or a comforter who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you and later he will be in you. Then just turn over. To John chapter 16 and from verse 5 to 15. Jesus saying again, But now I am going away to the one who sent me, and, it's, and not one of you is asking, Where am I going? Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. See, the, the, the disciples are unhappy. I mean, you would be too. You've spent a couple of years getting to know Jesus, ministering with him. You've developed a close friendship. You're realizing, hey, this isn't just some prophet here. This is the Messiah. This is God. How awesome is it? And now Jesus is saying, I'm leaving. He'd be like, oh, no, that's terrible. Verse 7, he says, but in fact, it is best for you that I go away. What? How can that be true? How can it be best if Jesus goes? Because if I don't, the advocate won't come or the helper or the comforter won't come or the Holy Spirit won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of, and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. There is so much more that I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. Amen? Small little cup in our heads. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. 
He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That's why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. And so Jesus is saying, it's best that I go away. And the disciples are like, hang on a minute, how can that be true? And he says, the reason is, is because when I go, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. You see, in the Old Testament, in those days, if you, if you wanted to find God, first of all, you had to find the Israelites, wherever they were wandering around, maybe in the desert, maybe they were in the promised land, depending on what year it is. You had to find them. And then you had to get into that camp and you had to find a tent called the tabernacle. And then inside the tabernacle, there was a curtain. And behind that curtain was the Holy of Holies, where the, the presence of God was, the Shekinah, it's called. Problem is, you can't go in. You try and go in and bang, you're dead instantly. Now Jesus has come. And if you want to find God? You just had to get to Israel, kind of in that area. I know he went in and out a few times. And then you'd have to find Jesus, which probably wouldn't have been that hard. You just go where the crowd is. And then you could have, for a few years, wandered around and followed Jesus and heard his teaching, see the miracles that he's doing. And possibly you could have gone up to him and asked him a few questions and got a few answers. And now... We have the Holy Spirit given to each of us. And it says the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Now if you want to find God, you want to speak to God, He's in you. That's why it's better. It's been getting better and better and better. What we live in now is the best. Compared to Moses' day, some of us are like, man, I wish I could have lived. With Jesus. I wish I could have been a disciple. What we have now is better. What we have now is better than Moses, where he came down to the mountain and his face shone with the glory of God. What we have now is better than that. Do you believe it? We live in a glorious day. We really do. This is why Jesus says what we have today is better. Anything that Jesus gives has to be good for us. Amen? He's a, he's a good God. And if he has a gift for us, it's going to be good. He's demonstrated his incredible love for us. He's always faithful, always honest towards us. So if he sent his Holy Spirit to help us, surely we should welcome the Holy Spirit. Doesn't that make logical sense? And yet, some Christians are fearful of the Holy Spirit. When it comes to laying foundations in our lives, and we look at Hebrews chapter 6, and we look at the foundations, those six foundations, repentance from dead works, uh, faith in God, baptisms, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment, we go, repentance from dead works, not a problem. Faith in God, yeah, not a problem. Baptisms, water baptism, I don't know about that. Holy Spirit baptism, no ways. I don't want that. I don't want to fall over. 
I don't want to speak in a funny language. I don't want this craziness happening in my life. And so what happens is Christians have moved on two steps, and that's where it ends. And there's never a laying on of hands. There's never a release into ministry. There's never seeing healing, seeing miracles taking place, none of that, because we put the brakes on at getting filled with the Holy Spirit or even before that, getting baptized in water. Because some, some of us are petrified. You know, when, uh, when Israel was escaping from the Egyptian army, that cloud, that pillar of fire and cloud, by, uh, cloud by day, pillar of fire at night, that, that pillar went behind them, between them and Egypt for a day. And so when, and it says that it gave light to the Israelites, but darkness on the other side. And so this is a picture of God to us. When we see the Holy Spirit, He's light, He's warmth, He's protection, He's He's provision. But when the world sees the Holy Spirit, it's just dark and mysterious and foreboding and that kind of thing. Folks, the Holy Spirit is being given as a gift from Jesus. And when if if it's if Jesus is standing here saying, I've got a gift for you, and we turn around and say, No, thank you, how do you think that makes Jesus feel? I've got a gift for you that is going to help you, and actually you need it. You've got to endure to the end to be saved, and the Holy Spirit is going to walk with you, reveal all the stuff to you, empower you for ministry, and you don't want it. Are you mad? <laughs> Seriously. It's a good gift. <laughs> Jesus is the baptizer. John said, when Jesus comes, he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and with fire. And Jesus gives good gifts. Amen. Amen. We, we need to allow God to deconstruct the lies of the enemy in our head and to embrace the truth of what he's given us and come with an attitude of, hey, God, I know that you give good gifts. I'm a little bit uneasy about this, but I want to step out of the boat and I want what you've got for me because I'm trusting in your word. You said it will be better. Jesus has said it. So let's press in and say, Holy Spirit, we want more of you. We want to be filled with you. We want everything you have to give us and not put the brakes on. And not kick Jesus off the throne and say, no, thank you. I'll lead this party. I'll drive my car. <laughs> I'm being harsh here because I'm wanting to break a mindset. I'm going to pat you on the back and say, it's okay. It's not okay. If Jesus said it's better, it's not okay not to have the Holy Spirit. It's worse. <laughs> it's interesting that uh, Ephesians 5 verse 18 says, don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, we all go, getting drunk with wine is wrong. But we don't say, not getting filled with the Holy Spirit is equally as wrong. 
We think it's an optional. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Not just ignore it. See, it is wrong. If I'm not filled, it's wrong. I must be filled. It's a gift from God. It's part of the whole package. (laughs) It's an essential step in developing our relationship with God. And it's also essential for living a victorious life. I really feel this morning, I'm closing with this, is there's been a drawing of God this morning in the, in the singing. Maybe the musos can come up. And I, I really, I'd like us to sing that song, I'm Coming Back to the Heart of Worship Again. But there's a, there's, there's a drawing from God. And I, I feel God is calling us to repent. He wants us to be filled afresh with His Holy Spirit. Maybe we can stand. I I really believe that God wants us just to to come to him today and and repent for turning Christianity into a religion. Where we come to church, tick a box. We read the Bible, tick the next box. We, We give our offerings, tick another box. We share an encouraging word with someone, tick. We pray for the sick, tick. It's not about ticking boxes. It's not about do this and don't do that. It's about God drawing us to himself. It's about relationship with God. And it's so easy in our day and age to forget this and go, well, I've got to come to church on a Sunday because I'm a Christian. What else do Christians do on a Sunday morning? I'm here because God's here. Not because... There's no verse in the Bible that says Christians have got to come to church on a Sunday. It says don't neglect the gathering of the believers. It doesn't say what day. Amen? Because I know some of you are thinking that. (laughs) It's about relationship with God. That's what it's about. God has done everything possible to bring us into a relationship with Him. But we've gone off track. We've got so busy in our lives, we don't have time for God. And the word says, be still and know that I am God. That's getting harder and harder in this day and age. It really is. We are so busy. We're busy on our phones. We're always looking. What's going on? How many likes? How many this and that and the next thing? News. Oh, I've got to watch the news. I missed the news. Oh, I've got to catch up. But a million and one TV programs I've got to watch on the Babylonian idiot box. (laughs) That's more important than God, more important than spending time with God. And I think today God is saying, come back. Let's repent. Let's say, God, I want to put you first. I want to be filled with your Holy Spirit all over again. I don't want to be scared. I want to step out of the boat and go, God... I want to see you moving supernaturally in my life. This is what you've died for. Not second-rate Christianity. Oh, let's all, let's all meet together and be boring together. That's not what Jesus died for. He died to give us life and life to the full. That happens in relationship with God. Let's, let's just respond to the Lord. Father, we come before you today. Lord, we want to repent. We want to say we're sorry, Lord, 
for the things that we've done. We've put so many things before you in our lives. We've cluttered our lives with so many other things. And we've left you on the shelf. Barely noticing you as we walk past in the day. Lord, we repent. We repent for not putting you first. We repent for neglecting our walk with you. We repent for not embracing and and welcoming the relationship that we have with you. We repent for taking it for granted. We want to say, Holy Spirit, come. Come and fill us this morning. Come and saturate us. Lord, fill us to overflowing. We don't care about our reputation. We don't care about what we look like. We don't care about where you want to send us, who you want us to speak to. All we care about is you and being with you, being close to you. And so we say, come Holy Spirit. Come and saturate us this morning. Come and fill us to overflowing. Come and baptize us, Lord Jesus. Baptize us in your Holy Spirit. You've said it's better and we want what's better. We want the best. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your presence in this room right now. The presence of the living God, the infinite one, the all-consuming fire. Thank you for your presence. We worship you, Lord. We magnify you. We're going to continue in uh, 1 Corinthians this morning, and uh, we're going to be looking at uh, why do we need the mind of Christ, and essentially we've, uh, we've covered what the mind of Christ is, which is uh, seeing things from God's perspective, understanding of His values, His will, His plan, His purpose, all that kind of thing, so that we can know that, and how do we get the mind of Christ? It's through the Holy Spirit. So essentially, we are talking this morning about being filled with the Holy Spirit and allowing Him to minister in our lives. But why do we need this? That's what we're going to look at today. So let's just open in prayer and then we'll get into it. Father, we thank You for Your presence already in this room. We thank You, Lord, that You're already ministering. And we want to pray that as we look at Your Word, that You would give us revelation, that You would continue to minister into our lives. I pray for a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit in all of our lives. I pray, Lord, that we'd all leave here today absolutely overflowing with you, overflowing with your goodness, overflowing with a sense of your victory, overflowing with a revelation of the bigness of our God. In Jesus' name, I ask these things. Amen. And just also to say that we've been preaching on this mind of Christ and being filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, this week, Four people in one of the home groups got filled with the Holy Spirit, spoken tongues. God's working. He is moving powerfully in our midst. And I really want to just encourage you, engage with God. Don't sit there and spectate and go, you know, if the Lord's going to do something, He must touch me. He's done everything. He's waiting for us to do something. Amen? So why do we need the mind of Christ? 
That's the third question we're going to look at uh, this morning. Why do we need the mind of Christ? You might be sitting here thinking, well, what if I don't want the mind of Christ? I just want to mind my own business and be left alone. Why does God bother me, wanting me to understand these things? I'm perfectly happy just to do my own thing. I'm quite happy with the way I think. It's taken me all these years to figure out life and as I live it. And now God wants to come and change everything. Why does he want to do that? Now you want to come with your mind of Christ and mess up my life. Maybe there are people here today that are thinking that. Well, you may not, you may not want the mind of Christ, but God wants you to have the mind of Christ. It's His will and it's part of the purpose of God. And God's will is good, pleasing and perfect. Amen? It's not a bad thing. You've no doubt heard the saying, I'll give you a piece of my mind. That's not what God's meaning here. When He says He wants us to have the mind of Christ. If someone says to you, they'll give you a piece of their mind, that's a bad thing. Especially if it's your wife saying, I'm going to give you a piece of my mind. But having, having the mind of Christ is a good thing. So what is God's purpose here? Well, let's, let's read the verses that precede where it says, but you have the mind of Christ. And it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we're going to read verse 12 to 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and 12 to 14. So we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who comes from God, so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. We also speak these things, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. But the person without the spirit does not receive what comes from God's spirit because it's foolishness to him. And he is not able to understand it since it is evaluated spiritually. I want you to notice that there are six verbs here that describe the working of the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The first three are in the positive, and they describe a person who is a believer and the Holy Spirit ministering in, in their lives. And the second three verbs are in the negative, and they describe what the person is missing out on by not having the Holy Spirit, by not understanding what the will of God is. But in this case, Paul is talking to believers. And so he's essentially saying this is the work that the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives. This is why we need the mind of Christ. This is the plan of God. Let's have a look at uh, the first three. What the Spirit does through the one who is a believer and also through the one who is speaking. So when you're preaching the Word of God, when you're speaking, when you're witnessing to someone, this is what the Holy Spirit is doing through you as you speak the truth of God. The first thing is in verse 12. It says, Now we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who comes from God, so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. The, 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 
why we need the mind of Christ is so that we can understand what God is trying to do. And this isn't a once-off event. I don't know about you, but the day that I got saved, my mind wasn't instantly transformed. Anyone else that did have their mind instantly transformed? No? Your minds are not instantly transformed when you get saved. My understanding of God's will and His plan has grown over the years. There's an understanding that's come through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Our thinking has changed. Romans 12 verse 2. Just write it down. I'll read it to you. Romans 12 and verse 2. In the NLT, it says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. How? By changing the way you think. By the, in other versions, it says, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's why we need the mind of Christ, because it actually transforms us. The way we think is the way we live our lives. If we believe in generosity or being a generous person, we will act generous. But if we don't have that, we'll be stingy. If we think our resources are finite, we'll never give. If we see God as our source and our resources are infinite, we'll give as generously as God wants. But it's because our thinking has changed, it changes our actions. It's not the other way around. It's faith and actions. Faith without works is dead, but faith comes before any works. has to. Believing first, God's got to change the way we think. This is to believers, not unbelievers. Okay? This is to believers that Paul is saying here in Romans. God wants to transform us, church. By changing the way we think. The church. Not the world. (laughs) You and I. There's a work in us. It's through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That we begin to understand the will of God. Because in in Romans uh, 12 uh, verse 2. It says God wants to transform you into a new person. By changing the way you think. Then. You will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. If this work of having the mind of Christ and being changed, having our mind changed, if it doesn't happen, we will never, ever know the will of God, ever. We will never know God's perfect will, and we'll forever be fumbling around in our lives trying to work out where to go, where the next step is. But... Having the mind of Christ is so that we can know the will of God. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is so that we can know the will of God for our lives. God wants us to understand, and he wants to change the way we think. When we understand and apply God's word in our lives, there's fruit. When we don't understand, the seed of truth is stolen. Matthew 13, verse 19, Jesus is talking about the parable of the farmer sowing seed. And he says the seed represents the word of God. And so the seed gets sown and it lands on the path, it lands in the rocks, lands among the thorns, and it lands on good soil. What happens to the seed that falls on the path? What happens to it? The birds come and take it. What does that mean? 
Matthew 13 verse 19. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. That's what happens. That seed is stolen. And you can have years and years and years and years of God sowing seed in your life. But if you don't respond and say, Holy Spirit, help me understand all of it's lost. All of it. Because I don't think the devil's going to go, okay, I'll just take one or two. I'll leave you with a 90. He's not like that. He's not going to say, well, okay, I'll just have a little bit. He's going to say, I want it all. I don't want you to move on at all. I want you stopped right where you are, not ever take another step forward in God ever again. That's the devil. In fact, he wants us to go backwards. (laughs) That's why the ministry of the Holy Spirit is absolutely crucial in our lives. It's not an optional extra. Without us having the mind of Christ, we have no hope of understanding God, no hope of understanding His will, and all the seed, all the revelation in the world will be stolen from our lives and won't produce any fruit. God wants to change the way we think. He wants us to think like Him. And when that happens, we move on to point two, the next part. So He says, so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God, we also speak these things. So once we understand, we speak. We tell others. Because it's when you have a revelation of how good it is and what God has done in your life, the natural reaction is to tell other people. When something amazing happens, you want to tell people. You go and see an amazing show or something like that, you tell people. You go to an amazing restaurant, you tell people. But the problem is is that a lot of Christians don't have that unbelievable encounter with God and say there's nothing to tell. It's like, went to church on Sunday, not much happened. I just do it because I'm a Christian. (laughs) That's why there's not a lot of telling going on. But you and I have access into the very presence of God. And he's moving in our midst here. He is. He's here now. He's touching lives. He's giving revelation as I speak. We have that access. If we press in on the Lord and allow him to work in our lives, we'll be so overwhelmed, we'll be telling people left, right, and center. It's a natural response. So the question to ask ourselves is, when last did I talk to someone about Jesus? Think about your conversations with others. Think about your conversations with Christians. What do you speak the most about? Because the Bible says, out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. If Jesus is overflowing in your heart, that's what you're going to talk about. But if something else is overflowing, that's what you're going to talk about. Whatever we're really passionate about, that's what comes out of our heart. We've been given the mind of Christ through the ministry of the Holy Spirit so that we can understand God, so that we can talk to God 
and understand his will, his perspective, and his values. And when we get that, it's, wow, this is amazing. There's, there's coming a day when Jesus will return. Many people out there don't believe that. I'm telling you, it's going to happen. Whether we like it or not, whether we pray for it or not, it will happen. <laughs> it's going to happen, and what a glorious day that will be. You read about it in Matthew 24 and 25. Read about the signs that are coming. There's signs in the world. Nearly all of them, or all of those, have already happened. Wars and rumors of wars, all this stuff. Earthquakes, famines. It's all happened. Then there's signs in the church. Worldwide persecution. Hasn't happened yet, but it's coming. And then there's a sign in Israel. But actually it says, after the signs in the church, it says, then the end will come. And then there's a short sign in Israel. And then it says, the sun will be darkened. The moon won't shine. The stars won't shine. Everything will go dark. Why? Because Jesus is coming and nothing is going to take away one bit of glory from his light that's coming. It's going to be like the start of a movie. Everything goes off, the lights go off, and you wait. And then as lightning flashes from the east to the west, bang, Jesus is going to arrive on the scene. And all the world will know, oh my word, God is here. Too late for some, and praise God for others. It's going to happen. It will happen. And it's something that I'm excited about. I can't wait for that day. And if you, are, if you have a strong relationship with God, you too will be excited about that day. And you'll go and tell people about it. But when it's like, ah, Christianity, it's, you know, something I just do on a Sunday. No. This is what it's all about. <laughs> Amen. We declare it. We speak it out. We've been given an incredible gift. We've been given a backstage pass into the mind of God. I mean, think about it. The Spirit is able to reveal to us the deep thinking of God. What a privilege. It's, you know, it's, I was uh, driving my car, uh, I don't know, a couple of days ago somewhere, and I was listening to a message on, on uh, the resurrection of our bodies. And I had such a revelation of how wonderful it's going to be when Jesus returns and gives us resurrected bodies. I just couldn't keep my mouth shut, even in the car. I was praising God and saying amen and can't wait for that day to nobody. But that's what happens when God grips you. You have to speak. You can't keep your mouth shut. <laughs> when we see the great, greatness of his plan. But you see, this is the thing. The ball is in our court. And Cliff preached a wonderful message. And one of the points that stuck out to me the most was that so many Christians say, oh, my life is in God's hands. It isn't. It's in your hands. Jesus is going to come back. He's going to wrap things up, whether you pray or not. But what happens to your life from now until when Jesus arrives is in your hands. <laughs> well, praise God, I don't have to do anything. I'm under grace. Jesus has done it all for me. I don't have to obey. I don't have to do nothing. I can just sit and wait. 
It's in your hands. Jesus said, if you love me, you obey my commands. <laughs> Faith without action is dead. It's meaningless. It's worthless. <laughs> are we making time for the Lord? Or are we filling our time with worldly things? You see, if we don't, if we don't make Jesus Lord over our busy lives, our busy lives are going to establish themselves as Lord in our life. That's what's going to happen. We, we have a responsibility to put Jesus on the throne of our lives, to constantly lay ourselves down, to constantly pick up our cross and say, no, not my will be done, yours be done. I want you to reign. I want you to guide me and lead me. I want to press in on you. I want to know you. When a Christian fills their mind with worldly things, they are conformed or molded into a worldly mold. That's what Romans 12 is talking about. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. That, that's to Christians saying don't be conformed. That means it's possible for Christians to be conformed. How? Fill your mind with the world and you'll be conformed. Someone who wakes up in the morning thinking of work or earning money, feeding themselves, then spending eight hours in secular work, drives home, spends the remaining four hours of their day watching TV, is going to be conformed into the world's mold. Just saying. Because God had no time. You had no time with God. No time to feed ourselves any spiritual food. And so spiritually we're malnourished. We might look good on the outside, physically. We might have muscles and all this stuff. But inside, our spirit is like a malnourished person that's living in a famine, lying on the ground, skin and bone. That's what our spirits are like when we don't feed it. <laughs> and what happens is you develop an appetite for what you feed yourself. If you feed yourself junk food, all you want to eat is junk food. You put a salad in front, you're like, whoa. Give me 11 herbs and spices any day. <laughs> Give me a green curry any day. Eh? Amen. <laughs> but that's what happens. Whatever you feed yourself, you develop an appetite for that. And then suddenly it's like, oh, I don't feel like church on a Sunday. I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like reading my Bible. I've got no appetite for this stuff. Why? Because the ball was in our court and we just let the ball do whatever it did. And we just continually allowed the world just to feed us. Because it's always pushing against us. You drive to work, there's billboards with all sorts of stuff going on. There's people cutting you off in traffic. There's people swearing. There's people selling coarse jokes. There's all sorts of stuff happening all day long around you. And if you don't feed yourself spiritually, all you're doing is taking in everything of the world and you will be conformed to the pattern of this world. And you'll start thinking like the world instead of thinking like God. And this is what happened in Corinth. This is what happened to these believers in Corinth. Paul is saying, actually, you should be mature, but I've got to give you milk because you've gone backwards in God. I've got to go over the basics again. 
Because you've been conformed to the thinking of this world. You've allowed all the culture of Corinth to get into you. Now you're arguing. Now you're into sexual immorality. Now you're into suing one another. Now you're into all this other crazy stuff that's going on. Why? Because you've been conformed to the world. Christians. Do you have an appetite to declare the wonderful things God is showing you? If you don't, press in on the Lord. Discipline yourself. Train yourself in godliness. That means read your Bible. Pray. Do all these things. That's training your body. Paul says it's like an athlete. If you want to compete and win the prize, you've got to train. Oh, but Jesus does it all for me. No, he doesn't. (laughs) He's made it possible for you to be in the race. That's all. Now you've got to run the race. (laughs) Praise God, we have the Holy Spirit as our helper. Eh? Third thing. So the first one is to understand. Second thing is to declare. To speak these things, not in words taught by human wisdom, but those taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. So the first thing is to understand. The second thing is to speak it out. And then we're also able to explain to people. What God is doing. We're able to explain the mind of Christ. The thinking of God. And this explanation is done using the Holy Spirit's words. It says we speak words in verse 13. Given to us by the Spirit. Using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. Something that really concerns me. Is the amount of biblical preaching that's being done around the world. And it's been replaced by inspirational messages. Because that's what grows churches. Preach the Bible doesn't grow churches. But preach something and pat people on the back and say it's all about positive thinking. It's all about, you know, inspiring people. And and a 30-minute message will contain one scripture somewhere in there to show, hey, this is a Christian message. But 29 minutes of it has been... Worldly wisdom, psychological uh, methods, psychology. (laughs) It's really concerning. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. We shouldn't be preaching worldly psychology. We shouldn't. We should be preaching the word of God. In Christ, we've become a new creation. Not just new in our spirit, but new in our soul as well. Our souls are being renewed. When you gave your life to Jesus, your spirit is instantly saved. But your mind isn't. But there's a transformation that takes place in your soul. And guess what? Your body one day will also be renewed totally. When Jesus returns, your body will be raised up out of the grave and given a new resurrected body. Amen. Unless some of you have already received salvation in your bodies. Anyone here? Anyone here not getting older? Anyone here never get sick again? Anyone here not going to die? No? Okay. None of us have been saved in our bodies yet. That's why it's correct to say, I have been saved. I am being saved and I will be saved. 
all of me will be saved at, when Jesus returns. Spirit, soul, and body. But this transforming, the renewing of our minds has to do with your soul, your will, your intellect, and your emotion. When you got saved, you didn't just obey God and everything, you know, and suddenly you never put a foot wrong. Guaranteed. <laughs> in fact, when I, got, when I gave my life to Jesus, I went even worse into the world. Because there was an attack on my life. <laughs> and I clubbed more, drank more, partied more, everything more. Because my soul needs transforming. That's why we need the mind of Christ. That's why we need the work of the Holy Spirit to transform us. <laughs> this is where the battle is currently taking place. This is where we pull down strongholds in our minds. This is where obedience to God is important. It's where character is formed. Mm. And it's where maturity takes place. God wants to change the way we think. He wants to change our intellect. He wants to change our will. And then one day when Jesus returns, our bodies will also be changed. 1 Corinthians, just take this down. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 44 says, talking about our bodies, they are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. Praise God. Wow. That's going to be a glorious day. Eh? We will be totally new people, spirit, soul, and body. That's the completeness of our salvation. Anyway, let's move on now to the second group, and I'll have to cover this just quickly. We don't have time. The second group of three verbs that describe the work of the Holy Spirit in us, and this, this uh, group describes the work of people who are unbelievers. And the work that the Holy Spirit wants to do but can't do. And the first thing is, in verse 14, but people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. So, in other words, the Holy Spirit wants us to receive. When we, when we speak, when we preach, when we talk to others, the whole goal of what the Holy Spirit is trying to do is that they receive the truth as well. 2 Peter 1 verse 3 and 4. Talking about the promises of God. It says, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We've received all this by coming to know him. The one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to, to share the divine nature, his divine nature, and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. What a tragedy for people who cannot receive the promises of God and share in the divine nature. And what a blessing it is for spiritual believers who can. It's part of the provision of God for the salvation of our souls. That he's given us his promises in his word. And he's given us everything we need in them for life and godliness. Everything. That's for us as believers. That's what God wants us to receive. And the way that we receive these truths is through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. 
He's the one that helps us to receive them and to understand them and to apply them in our lives. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And then the fifth point is also that, we've, that people should understand. The hearer must understand. The belief, sorry, the believer must understand. The one who's speaking the truth must understand. And the person receiving that word, God's intent is that they understand as well. He doesn't have favorites. It's not like, oh, Russ has got a hotline to heaven. He's a pastor. He's got some kind of understanding I'll never have. No, the Holy Spirit wants everybody to understand the truths of God. There's no favoritism in the Lord. God makes his spirit available to young and old, male and female, rich and poor. Anyone that asks will receive the Holy Spirit. And then the last thing is, just that last bit, is it says, the unbeliever is not able to understand it since it is evaluated spiritually. And the last thing is that God, when we receive these truths from God through the Holy Spirit, when we see something of the mind of Christ, we put value on it. We, we count it as valuable. It's something of great value to us to have the thoughts and promises of God. They're precious. They are treasures. Matthew 13, verse 52. Matthew 13, 52, and I'm closing with this. He said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. That's talking about someone who speaks about the truth of God. Every teacher, that could be you, Speaking to someone in the street, it could be you sharing something in a home group, it could be me preaching to you. We go into the storehouse and the Holy Spirit brings out treasures new and old, but they're treasures nevertheless. Every time we hear the word of God, it's an opportunity to receive treasure from God. Do you see it like that? As the Holy Spirit gives us revelation, we take the truth and we hide it in our hearts. Because it's valuable. You don't hide something that's not valuable. You don't just say, oh, there we go. That's the truth I received from God. If you want it, you can take it from me. No ways. I'll tell you about it, but it's mine. (laughs) That's treasuring the word of God. It's valuable to us. But it's saying that someone who's unspiritual doesn't value God's word. When the truth is preached, it's like, ah, whatever. Matthew 7, verse 6. Matthew 7, verse 6. This is why we need discernment when we share what God is doing in our lives. Share the gospel by all means with anybody. But don't take your revelation that God has given you and just share it to somebody. Because Matthew 7, verse 6 says, Don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. That's a picture to the Israelites, the people of God. Don't take the wonderful truths and revelations that God has given you and just throw them out there into the Gentile world. Share the gospel, yes, because we want people to be saved. But but if you do that, if you go and say, hey, I had such a wonderful time with God. He showed me this and this and this and the next thing. You share that at work, you get shot down. 
because unspiritual people cannot understand it. But when you speak the gospel, the Holy Spirit will convict of sin and righteousness and judgment to come. And then they have an opportunity to get saved, filled with the Spirit. And then when you talk about the things of God, they can understand because they have the mind of Christ. But without it, it's like water off a duck's back. It's not going to do anything. <laughs> share the gospel. But, but be careful with who you share some of the deep truths that God's sharing with you. 1 Corinthians in chapter 2, Paul says, they will think it's absolute foolishness. They will. You and I have a wonderful a wonderful, wonderful privilege of being able to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to understand the deep thoughts of God. Think about that. I mean, we're talking about God here. Someone who's eternal, someone who's infinite, someone who created you. You ever look at your hand and you see all the lines and you, you see the complexity of how we're made. The person who made you, you can understand his thinking. That's an absolute privilege. You can be changed. <laughs> you can see the world through a different eye. You can see your life as, hey, hang on a minute. I'm putting a lot of importance on this hundred-year period of my life when I've got all eternity still to come and I haven't even given it a thought. I've put all my eggs in this one basket and actually the Bible says that basket is going to fade. Paul says he focuses on things that are unseen, that are eternal, not on what is seen. And yet so many Christians are so soaked up in the things of this world that all their focus is on worldly things. And when the economies are wobbling, they're worried. Why are you worried? We are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. There's no economic crisis in heaven right now. Nothing. There are unlimited resources in the hands of God. The gates are always open. <laughs> there's no rust. There's no moth. There's nothing that will destroy any of the treasure in heaven. That's what the Bible says. And the word says all scripture is God breathed. <laughs> Do you believe it? We have something unbelievably wonderful that God has done in our lives. And I'm trusting today that the Holy Spirit is doing a work in you right now. And he's, he's breaking off the lies of the enemy. Where you've gone, hang on a minute. I have been worried about this. I have been negative about this. I got up this morning and it was an effort for me to come here. I do struggle to pray. I do struggle to read the word. I struggle to just be with God. As soon as I say, okay, I'm going to spend time with God, it's literally three seconds and my mind's on something else. <laughs> because we've been conformed to the pattern of this world. I, I want to pray right now that God would break that stuff off of us, that we can have a start of a new day today, that things will change, that we'll be able to go, okay, the, I'm going I'm to take a step forward in God. And I'm going to see things change in my life. I'm going to discipline myself. I'm going to get up in the morning and I'm going to spend time with God. And it's going to be wonderful. 
Otherwise, in a year's time, you will be in exactly the same position as you are now. Nothing will have changed. <laughs> a farmer sows seed into the ground and expects a crop. He doesn't just stare at the ground and think, well, one day something's going to happen. Nope. One year later, two years later, still nothing. Trusting God, praise the Lord. No, you've got to put something into the ground to get a crop. If you put nothing in, nothing happens. <laughs> That's why the Bible says, train yourself in godliness. That's why it says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. No, I don't want to. Jesus says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So we say, okay, yes, Lord, you've said it. I'm, I'm going to receive it then. 